0: Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face-to-face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Welcome to Encounter Grace. We're glad you're here. I'm Jason McKnight, and in the last decade or two, one of the ways that our culture is growing in godliness, and you don't hear that every day, is this that we have learned about and are confronting the scourge of human trafficking. So to talk about this today, I'm joined by Stockton Brown, a great friend of ours, an attorney here in Eastern North Carolina, who has a, a heart for God's rescue plan for folks who are being trafficked and who's taking real steps to walk into that plan. So we're going to hear more about that today. Stockton, thank you for coming.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Well, welcome. Um, we're into 2021 and we've just come out of January, sort of Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and February 25th is the End It Movement day that they're... T- so we're going to talk about trafficking. Gary Haugen, who started International Justice Mission, said, uh, said nothing happens just because we're aware mm-hmm. of modern day slavery, but nothing will ever happen until we're aware of it. So I think that's really good. So you're here to help us get aware of it and even maybe find out what we can do. What are we talking about? What is human trafficking?
1: So it's the commercial exploitation of an individual by force, fraud, or coercion. And that's commonly through the means of exploitation is either forced labor trafficking or sex trafficking.
0: Okay. Forced labor or forced sex. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do you think this is on our radar screen now, as opposed to 40 years ago?
1: So I think part of um, what's interesting about human trafficking from the sex trafficking side is that that has been a topic that stays under the radar and our culture has moved to a place of being more aware of the objectification of women. And so outside of Christian communities, there's a greater um, willingness to speak up whereas things before were maybe not going to be spoken of outside of a close group of friends. So it's now in the public square, culturally, and before we were not able to have that dialogue.
0: I mean, the poor internet gets a bad rap, but here's a case where it's good. Right. Disseminating fast. Yes. Yeah. And it's true, you know, even in the last few years. I mean, this isn't trafficking, but like pornography used to only be sort of Christians saying, this is not good for women. But now we're seeing... Everybody's saying this is not good, mm-hmm. not only for women, but also for what it does to guys' brains. Right, like just exactly. Women. Anyway, so the, okay, mm-hmm. so let's talk about the scope of it um, around the world. How many countries, or what, you know, what what do we know? How many people? Who's most at risk? How does it happen? How does somebody all of a sudden become a slave?
1: Right. So <clears throat> there are kind of two answers to that. From the numbers side, the International Labor Organization has given an estimate of 40 million from their report in 2016. The actual tracking of data is pretty difficult with trafficking because we're not always um, identifying the victims until later in time. Yeah, there's not this
0: this big database that everyone signs up, hey, I'm trafficked.
1: Right, and a lot of times, that actually is a great point, a lot of times the person who's trafficked, trafficked, especially in the United States, is not aware that they're trafficked. So the common Mm. method in the U.S. is that, I mean, we have the movie Taken, and we do have those cases where a person is is literally kidnapped, Mm -hmm. but often a trafficker is going into a forum like the internet and portraying themselves as a person that's a, um, a boyfriend of a girl that's vulnerable. So this girl who is in a spot of vulnerability then responds to the trafficker thinking that there's a committed relationship here. So after there's emotional dependence, then he'll say, oh, well, if you love me, you'll sleep with these people. Well, that's when the commercial exploitation part comes in. Mm -hmm. So there's payment for This girl being, um, I guess another word would be prostituted. Mm -hmm. So the money goes back to the boyfriend Mm -hmm. and then he'll move into chemical dependency. So if the emotional dependency isn't strong enough to create that consistent dependence, there'll be, you know, meth cocaine, um, heroin, whatever substances Mm. will make her dependent on him to provide those for. And that's where it gets um, pretty dark because the person doesn't know that they're being trafficked. So while there are hotlines and there are ways that a person can say, I need help, sometimes the deception is so strong that they're not responding. They still think they're a... um, a girlfriend yeah. or a committed yes. partner in this relationship when there's no such thing that's really existing
0: and that's so that 's even in this country sex right. trafficking, but mm-hmm. how about overseas and labor trafficking, and you hear these horrible stories about children you know being forced in in different countries in Asia and stuff like
1: yes how so how does forced, that happen? forced labor trafficking is gaining a lot more attention <laughs> because of um, retail and the clothing industry. And Mm. so there are brick kilns in India. There's the fishing industry in Mm. Ghana, um, cocoa plantations, tea plantations. These are spots around the world where while we may have an issue with um, low wages and wages that aren't fair for people who are employed in the states, there are spots abroad where these industries are depending on slaves. So they're not being paid and they're they're um, bound to serve in that um, sector of the economy.
0: Mm. Bound. To serve, a.k.a. slaves. Yes. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah There you yeah. go. Okay. Um, and how many countries, do you know offhand? I mean, I, sh- I should have asked you this before. Like, yeah. is it like 50 countries in the so, world? So,
1: yeah, the... Um, map from the U.S. State Department, the Trafficking in Persons Office, mm-hmm. they um, rank the prevalency of a government's response to trafficking in these three different tiers, and it's across the globe. So uh, the U.S., like we've talked about, has trafficking, but there's a huge prevalence of trafficking in East Asia. Some of that is related to cultural acceptance of the practice that's based in history of certain countries and right, their... um right their perspectives on, um, on commercial sex. And mm, so that mm. is prevalent in East Asia. Um, trafficking through South America is also in forced labor mm. trafficking as well mm. as in Africa. So there's really, there's no part of the world that's untouched yeah. um, by human trafficking today.
0: And we wanna think we are. We wanna right. think we live in a free society where there's rule of law and we, we value super highly the individual and individual rights. But mm-hmm. unfortunately what we're learning is that even here there's human trafficking and, and maybe not so much forced labor, but certainly right. forced sex. Yes. Which is which is super quiet. Um, I understand that and, and maybe like I've heard this, so maybe I'm wrong, but I understand that even that whole week or two around the Super Bowl in the city the Super Bowl is hosted actually becomes a super hotspot for sex trafficking. Is that true or is that someone?
1: So International Justice Mission doesn't um, definitively say that that is the, you know, most um, prevalent week of trafficking in the States because it's hard to say definitively what time is. But the thing we do know is that there's greater demand at that time. Mm. And so part of what is um, important with trafficking and being aware of it is that it thrives in darkness. Mm. So when we look at our nation's history, when we had um, the slave trade for cotton and for most of the American South, that was in plain sight and so culturally there was this divide of who accepted slavery and who didn't with sex trafficking it's much more under the radar for the people that are um, participating in it from the demand side not from the trafficking side and so those networks are um they thrive on anonymity in a large sense and so when you have a gathering that you're going to and maybe you live and you know 10 hours away in a different state then you can participate in trafficking under the radar at a Super Bowl. When, if you were in your own neighborhood, it may be harder. So yet. that's the reason why a spot like the Super Bowl can become a hot spot for trafficking because of the anonymity of folks who may be participating
0: in it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's. I mean, it's hard. This is hard to think about. Let's um. Let's press pause on the issue and yeah. let's talk about you for a little bit because you've had a heart for this. In, uh, for a long time in yes. your life. You've spoken yeah. about really being in middle school mm-hmm. and, and the Lord giving you a heart for this. Tell us a little bit about that story.
1: Yeah, so I was in seventh grade opening the mail at my parents' house and had this newsletter from International Justice Mission. And there was a story of a girl that had been rescued. Hmm. So she was um, in a brothel in India and she wrote on her brothel wall um when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, even then will I be confident. Mm -hmm. And this was written on her wall and she was rescued by IJM. And she said, the verse now that I live my life by is I sought the Lord and he rescued rescued me me. and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces Mm -hmm. are never covered with shame. And I had just come to know Jesus a few months before. And so I read this story and I just said to myself, this is what I wanna do. I wanna speak up for people like this. And so that was really the spark um, that kind of started this um, path to law school and then um, to getting to advocate against trafficking.
0: So where did you grow up?
1: So I grew up on a farm in Garysburg, North Carolina, that's um, like a town of less than a thousand. It's a couple hours north of Kinston.
0: Wow. And, um, and yeah, kind of up near uh, Roanoke.
1: Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's really close Gaston. to Renegad Rapids yeah. Yeah. in the Lake Gaston area. We'd always go up there in the summer. It's super close to the Virginia line. Okay. Yeah.
0: Very good. And where did you go to undergrad?
1: I was at Asbury university in Kentucky. Um, it's a Christian liberal arts school Mm -hmm. and loved my time at Asbury. And that's really the spot that I started seeking the Lord about is law school. Definitely it? Hmm. because I had this seed planted in seventh grade, but a whole lot of years in between. And so I was coming to the end of law school or of college and, um, was praying one day and said, Lord, I want to give this law school thing to you because I don't want to go this path unless you're calling me to it. Mm -hmm. Because there are a whole lot of reasons people go to law school, and I wanted to have a pure heart in going. And so I really just said, I'll give law school back if that's not the thing I'm supposed to do. And in that time of prayer and discernment and talking with um, a lady um, at Asbury that had meant a lot to me, I just realized this is a thing God's inviting me into to go with him. So this yeah. is not going to be about me. Right. <laughs> it hasn't right. been in so many ways. It's definitely had um his call and his leading in the whole thing from the beginning.
0: And then you went to law school. Yes. Which one?
1: Regent, um Regent University School of Law in Virginia Beach.
0: Which is a Christian law school. Yep. And so that probably mm-hmm. helped even form your desire to help the Lord or to be part of the Lord's work with Mm -hmm. uh, trafficking.
1: It definitely did.
0: And while you were in law school, you spent a summer internship in two places. One of them is Kinston. So that's kind of fun. So that's how we got to know you several years ago. The other one is India. Tell Mm -hmm. us about that.
1: So India was um, phenomenal. I was in Pune, which is a city of 8 million, and we were um, identifying trafficking victims and rescuing them between Pune and Nagpur, which is at the very center of India. And in that summer, I spent some time with the social workers who were all Indian nationals and the most wonderful, delightful people with amazing hearts for the Lord. And so they invited me to a shelter home where some Mm -hmm. of the girls Mm -hmm. had recently been rescued. And I can still remember sitting on a rug with a group of girls and Asha was translating and she was asking um, one of the girls that went by Pinky to tell her story. And she said, I'm a dirty girl mm. and this is the work that I do. Um. And it really, I mean, stuck with me for years because what I realized is she was brought out of slavery, but still had the mindset of being a sex slave. And this was a girl that was under, I mean, I know she was under 16 years old. She Mm. might have been under 14 years old. Mm. And so part of why I have such a passion for human trafficking is that this is the story that I think we all have as being redeemed by the Lord. That we've been brought out of sin and into the light. And in that there's this freedom that we're not just no longer slaves, but we're children of God and we're brought into his family. And no no one's you know stuck in the pit we're redeemed from the pit and crowned with steadfast love and mercy mm-hmm. and that's um my passion in addressing human trafficking it's not just bringing these men and women and boys and girls out but also into the yeah. family of God yeah. to realize who we really were made to be yeah
0: I am a dirty girl that's that's and that is the story mm-hmm. of redemption of God changing all yeah. of us you know yeah like, that's it like we're not we're not there anymore. So you you went there, and you're going, which to to presuppose where what we'll talk about in a few minutes with a group called International Justice Mission. That's correct. So let's talk about that. What is IJM and who started it and why yeah. and what do they do?
1: So IJM was founded in 1997 by mm. Gary Haugen, who was a human rights attorney in the U.S. State Department or the U.S. Department of Justice, mm. and he witnessed firsthand the aftermath of the Rwandan genocide. And from that experience um, in the mid 90s, started IJM with this three prong focus of identifying um, and rescuing victims of trafficking and then following those cases through the court system. Mm-hmm. But the third prong is strengthening the public justice system of the country in which they work. So IJM is in 13 countries with 21 program offices. They're headquartered in the United States, but their field offices are all in these countries whose legal systems are being strengthened under the rule of law. And right. that just means well-defined laws that are clearly applied as the means through which justice is achieved rather mm-hmm. than brute force or personal mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. And so there are three prongs. Like you just said, like, let's, let's go over that again. There's the, there's the the frontline work of, mm-hmm. of investigation yeah. and rescue. Um, and then, tell me the second one, that they track the prosecutions through the court system so that you actually can uh, have a criminal case against, yeah. sometimes in some of these countries, against the perps.
1: Right. And so the point is to not just identify victims and bring them out, but to make sure that In in the course of several years, and this is not an overnight solution, but over the course of time, that punishment for the crime, and that just means taking the case through the system to Mm -hmm. conviction, Mm -hmm. that that will deter people from continuing to do right. this. So just like in the U.S., robbery is not okay. That's a crime and there's a punishment for it. And so that gives some measure of security and safety to folks in their homes every night that right. if they are robbed, there is recourse in the court system. So that's the goal with trafficking, that if a person is trafficked, there's recourse in the court system so that their rights can be defended there. Mm-hmm. Um, really, traffic tracking the case through the court system is just Uh, IJM attorneys that are nationals that are licensed in the country in which they're working. So 94% of their staff are nationals of the country in which the office is located. So I'll be going um, with IJM from the States, but the vast majority of employees with IJM in each field office um, know the court system. They're licensed there if they're a lawyer, and then they're culturally aware of the dynamics at play from growing up there and having lived their lives in that spot.
0: Yeah, so you'll be there as a servant, really, of of what God's already doing there. Mm -hmm. Let's talk just for a minute about that third prong, strengthening the rule of law in a country. That sounds really good it's got to be really hard <laughs> yes. and what does it mean to have a strong rule of law
1: so what we um, what we hope for and I think what we're we've experienced the benefits of to some extent in the United States is that, the The powers um, that control who is incarcerated and who is free is dependent on a system of law that everyone agrees to hmm. Um, hmm. that's historically where we've been that through the um, through Congress and having the codification of law and then the courts that interpret it, we have this system where everyone adheres to um, certain laws being worth following. So honestly, right, the rule right. of law is really public trust mm-hmm. in the system that mm-hmm. these laws are going to be enforced in a way that every person's equal before the law. Right. Now, while huh. the US has a history in this, we are far, far, far from perfect and actually yeah, living we're not out- in heaven yet. Right, yeah. this system. But the thing about the rule of law in the US that's different from other countries, is that we have one the laws on the books but two the infrastructure so Mm -hmm. that's state prosecutors it's federal public defenders they are judges that are aware of these laws and the way in which they should be applied Um, we have the sentencing commission in federal court to make sure that there's some equality and consideration of the person behind the crime Mm. so this infrastructure protects a person accused because while we want to say okay a, a trafficker should be convicted Every person accused is not necessarily right. guilty. Right. So the presumption of innocence in the United States that every person's presumed innocent until proven guilty is really the bedrock that protects mm-hmm. our rights in the mm-hmm. court mm-hmm. system. And that's important in um, strengthening the rule of law in other countries as well, that there's no um, assumed guilt based on right. accusation. Just an accusation. Right.
0: Oh, that's the death. And the, and the independence of the judiciary, mm-hmm. I think, is a huge part of that strong rule of law culture yes. that, that we want to see grow in more countries. And we want to keep renewing in our country. Right. You yeah, know? that's a great I mean, point. When a judge is on the take, it's the end. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've mm-hmm. all seen examples of that. Sounds like IJM has really thought out well, yeah. not just... That sweet little girl, right. But everything, and it's a long game. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it sounds like it's pretty effective, isn't it? In the in the work they do.
1: Yeah, yeah, and they've seen that even in <clears throat> so IJM's um, primary mission is ending slavery but they also address um, the rights of widows and the oppressed. So in mm. Uganda, there's um, property grabbing where a yeah. widow is not allowed to own property after her husband dies. Oh, no. And so they have um, made significant strides in defending rights of widows in this context because the laws were on the books. They just weren't being enforced to protect these widows. Mm-hmm. And so some of this strengthening is really just... Um, training and equipping those who are already in the system of saying, hey, we've got this here. We just need to work with what we have. So, yeah, in the course of, I guess, 1997 was the very start. IJMs made significant strides in, in helping these different legal systems strengthen um, and again, it's from each country buying in. IJM does yeah, not take the yeah, approach that yeah. you know the Westerners know what they're doing. We're right. all growing. We're all right. learning together, and there's a yeah. lot that we can learn from one another in these different cultural contexts.
0: I mean, we rejoice, and this is a little bit off topic, but in the growth of the church around the world, it's not a white man's religion. It's right. not, and yeah. it never was. Yeah. But what a joy to know that uh, as the as the majority world church has grown and now is leading in many ways mm-hmm. Americans and Canadians and Europeans in, in what it means to follow Jesus in yeah. their context. I just love it. I just yeah. Love it. So you're going to Ghana. Where <laughs> yes. in the world is Ghana and what are you going to do there?
1: <laughs> so it's in West Africa, um, right beside Togo, kind of if if you look at Africa as a question mark curve, it's uh-huh. kind of right there on the Gulf of Guinea. Um, and I'll be working with International Justice Mission mm-hmm. for the remainder of 2021. Um, they've targeted forced labor trafficking of kids onto Lake Volta and the fishing industry since mm. 2014, wow. and they're researching expanding their mission in 2021.
0: Okay. How many people live in Ghana? Is it, like, I forget, is it small, big? I mean, yeah,
1: I... I'm not sure of what the exact population is. The city that I'll be living in across, a city of two million, okay. um, and then the the actual size of Ghana is about North and South Carolina combined, geography, roughly. Geography. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. so
0: so we're probably talking ten or twelve million in right. the whole that country. Right, that sounds right. Maybe.
1: Oh, you know what? I did just remember. It's thirty million. Thirty That's million how many 10 are or twelve. There.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, thirty million.
1: Everyone's in
0: <laughs> across the capital, two yeah. million or so mm-hmm. there, um, and you're going to be helping because they are. It's it's not so much sex trafficking, but it's forced labor yes. where they're they're pressing children into the fishing industry on like Volta. Yeah,
1: kids specifically. Uh-huh. Yeah
0: oh that's terrible
1: yeah so the fishing industry is a local market um and it's interesting because there's um while forced labor trafficking is obviously not okay and there's understanding Mm -hmm. of that from a government standpoint as well in ghana but having kids work the lake is part of how um, it operates culturally. Sure. And so while he there can may never be tell who's right
0: forced and whos family. Exactly.
1: So while there may be a child that's eight years old that's working with his grandpa on the lake and that's totally fine, yeah. then you can also have a person who's eight years old that's been purchased um. to fish for this trafficker. And so that's what makes it a little bit sticky in terms of identifying who is a victim and who is not. Right. So basically who was bought yep. as a slave and, yep. and who's not and
0: forced to do this and, mm-hmm. and brainwashed kind of against their will.
1: Right. And sometimes for years at a time. So mm-hmm. one trafficker's story was, oh, I was only going to keep them for three years. Like that somehow justified, <laughs> like it was okay <laughs> oh, because man. it was just three years. And oh, so, yeah, there's a lot that plays in, um, in mm. mindset into yeah. kind of how people find themselves participating in this.
0: I guess you're getting ready to do a lot of crying, but also a lot of rejoicing.
1: <laughs> and that's one of the things that someone was telling me about who's actually been on the field in Ghana, spent a year there. And she was telling me about the resiliency and the joy of folks who are laboring in this field. One of the things that I was talking about with a friend yesterday who spent a couple of years in a different part of Africa, she was just saying how much... There, um, We see the glories of who Christ is when there's such bitter darkness. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we could spend a lot of time kind of hiding under the bed of saying, oh, gosh, we've got some evil here. But, oh, the contrast when we look at how beautiful Christ is and how worthy he is Mm -hmm. in the face of this evil. It's almost like it makes him um, even more radiant in who he is when we see just the goodness of God in the face of such darkness.
0: Yeah. Stockton, thank you so much for coming here today and thank you so much for going Mm -hmm. all the way to Ghana. I mean, we are going with you in prayer and support and excitement and we are behind you 100%. Uh, If you would like to support Stockton, I mean, this isn't a fundraising thing, but if you want to, you can go to gracekinston.org and click on the Give tab and you'll find information about Stockton there. People uh, need to know the need, but they also need to know the hope. Yeah. <laughs> and the yes. hope is there in Jesus yeah. Christ propelling locals and friends like you into different corners of the world yeah. that others might encounter grace. So thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, like and subscribe, comment and share. We'd love to encourage the community and join us next time here on Encounter Grace. <laughs> Blessings. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.